You're listening to The Mixed Project, a collection of photographs and narratives of Black folks in mixed race. I'm your host, Jeff Cooper. As we continue with Black History Month, I wanted to take the opportunity to embark on a subject that is rarely discussed in broader conversations about Blackness. That is, the Black identity within the Latinx community. The Afro-Latinx identity is one that maybe you haven't heard before, Maybe it's one that you're starting to hear more and more for the first time. The Afro-Latinx identity describes people from Latin America of significantly or mainly African ancestry, and they exist in every corner of the Latin American world. Its political nature functions as a reclaiming of African ancestry and a reclaiming of Black pride in response to what has been a deep and long history of anti-Black racism in Latin America going all the way back to slavery. What most folks don't know is that 95% of slaves transported in the transatlantic slave trade were destined for the Caribbean and Latin America, with about 30% destined for Spanish colonies. This equals approximately 2.5 million souls, compared to the roughly 600,000 that arrived on U.S. soil. Yet the popular image of a Latin person, whether they're from Cuba, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, or Colombia, is surprisingly separate from Africa. Or perhaps instead of separate, a better word would be diluted. You see the parts of black bodies that are deemed desirable. A set of hips, a curve in your silhouette, dark eyes or a bit of tanned skin. Meanwhile, you rarely see the darker skinned, afro-haired individuals who brought these traits into the genome. This same dilution happens with music, food, fashion, the list goes on. Not being Afro-Latino myself, To help me better understand how blackness operates in Latin communities, I reached out to my friend, New York native Karen Ortiz. Karen was born and raised in the Bronx to Dominican parents and identifies herself as Afro-Latina. However, this is an identity she only began to express in her adulthood. Growing up, she received signals from her family as well as pressures from her community and society at large to suppress the parts of her body that undeniably revealed her Afro-ancestry. Karen provides invaluable insight by reducing things down to the experience of an individual, while also taking moments to go broad or reach back into history and help us understand the situation and why it plays out the way it does today. Karen's story, Karen's thoughts, and Karen's perspective on the subject are absolutely fascinating, so have a listen. Here I am sitting with Karen Ortiz, and Karen has graciously taken the time out of her day to sit and participate with me in the Mixed Project. Thank you. So welcome, you. Karen. Thank you for doing this, <laughs> honestly. Like, I, I've enjoyed a lot of the stuff that I've listened to, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Yay. Okay, cool. I'm glad. I'm glad that you're here. So as I was saying just before we started, I'm particularly excited to sit down with you and chat because I want to talk about blackness in the Latino in the Latinx community and um, sort of what happens to blackness in the Latinx community when it's when it's mixed and also when it's when it's dispersed both genetically but also culturally. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe we'll start at the very beginning uh, by having you tell us a bit about who you are and where you're from and also who your folks are. Yeah. So I was born and raised in the Bronx in New York City, um, and my parents both grew up in the Dominican Republic. Uh, My parents have the 
slightly different immigration story than a lot of, I think, Latinx people in that um, they were actually thriving and doing really well mm-hmm. there, and they moved for political reasons. Um, my father was um, in the military and a supporter of a man named Trujillo, who was the uh, dictator president of the Dominican Republic for many, many years. Um, and had an incredible amount of like anti-black sentiment that he inculcated into Dominican culture mm-hmm. that fed a lot into um, a lot of racial tension and anti-Haitian sentiment that oh, still okay. exists there today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, blackness has always been something that people have tried to suppress and tried to extinguish. But I think in Dominican history, because it's a small island that we share um, with folks that actually do identify as black, mm-hmm. um, I think the Dominican Republic and Dominican people have, I think, even a harder time accepting any of their own blackness because yeah. of that division of that, like, they are that and we are different. Mm-hmm. Um, There's literally a line in the middle of the yeah, island. Yeah, that identifies that. And people that are, I mean, I don't know how up to date you are or the listeners are going to be on Dominican politics, but there's a lot of really serious, horrible things happening um, to people that uh, are black presenting in the Dominican Republic because they are seen as Haitian is not mm. actually Dominican mm-hmm. or like of being yeah of just being foreign yeah and so people are getting deported people that were like born there people oh, wow. that have been there for a long time um and there's a lot of otherness for that and that's how my parents immigrated because that government was starting to fall that dictatorship uh-huh. and so they had to leave yeah um And so that gets even more complicated, right? When they have their kids and then you start seeing kind of unrefutable evidence of blackness in your family that you can't suppress, right? You can't, but you try, right? And so one of the ways in which that happened was through like hair straining. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, hair was such a huge, huge thing in my house. <laughs> it and I had the like kinkiest hair of, of, all. of, of all of yeah. us. And so we all have like variations of like darker skin, but like wavier hair. Gotcha. Or, um, but for me, I think I I have a little bit of lighter skin, but my features are kind of mixed in a way that is less. I would say typically attractive. <laughs> and I don't mean that in like a self like that, that your features like, are mixed in a way that's less typically attractive. Yeah. Okay. Like if I had to like for example the things that are embraced about uh-huh. like black features are very specific. So like I have a bit of a wider nose than the rest of my family. And so that is a, an indication of like 
some of his that history, right? And like my hair also. Yeah, yeah. But like things like fuller lips, that's embraced, right? So and my sisters have that. <laughs> and my brother has that. So it's like it's okay in a certain way so long it's the right thing. Yeah. And that part of like blackness is accepted. Yeah. If you can pick and choose and like no one can pick and choose. No, no one can pick and it's choose when like it comes to... like you win the, like, genetics lottery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you have happens to, like, fit. When it, when it comes to Caribbean people, especially yeah. when the genome is so mixed, um, it's really interesting to hear you talk about um, your parents, your, your father in particular, it sounds like being a supporter mm-hmm. of a dictator who had anti-black policies mm-hmm. and then having to reconcile with seeing blackness in his, in his very offspring. Mm-hmm. I find that really interesting. Um... I'm curious to know, um, you said, you know, you're born and raised in the Bronx Mm -hmm. and you're born and raised in presumably a very Dominican community. Uh, yeah, a pretty mixed Latinx and black community. Okay, cool. So it wasn't Dominican specifically? Not, not exclusively. There was a good amount of like Mexican, Puerto Rican, other Caribbean folks, um, Mm I'm curious. African Americans. African Americans yeah. as well, and I'm, and I'm curious to know, sort of like how 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 do you think racial categories sort of work in um, in a Latinx community or in a community even like the one you're describing where it's mixed beyond even Latinx? Mm-hmm. Um, I get the impression sometimes. I mean, this is specific to Latinx communities that there are like sort of gradients mm-hmm. of like going on the spectrum from whiteness to, to the blackness. Right. Do you have any sort of experience with, with that? or? I mean, I have that experience within my own family. I identify as Afro-Latina and I don't think that my siblings do mm. as like identify as Afro-Latinx. I think that they... Mm, I mean, it's I don't... I don't think that they have, like, the confrontation of, like, their bodies telling them that they are. Wow, yeah. Even though we share the same, like, we have the same DNA, right? Like, we have the same two parents, and we look like variations of both of our parents. Um, But I think that if you can deny it, the Latinx culture is, please do. (laughs) Like, it encourages you to. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, when was sort of the first time growing up that you maybe were made aware or became aware of the fact that you had Afro features, that there was something about you that was more more Afro than mm-hmm. your siblings or even how that how that played into the society at large, your community at large? Right. Yeah. Um, from a very young age, my parents, well, really my mother and my aunt would straighten my hair, mm. chemically straighten my hair with mm. like relaxers. And... I just realized that my other, like my siblings or maybe my other uh, cousins or family members didn't have to do that. Mm. Um, And some of them did, but maybe were just more (laughs) successful with it. And they would take me to like Dominican salons and Dominican salons are famous for being really good at like blasting the blackness out of your hair wow. like as much as possible like anywhere in the northeast if you really really want to get your hair straightened you find a good dominican salon and they will get because every because they will make sure that shit is like dead by the, wow. end, by the end of the day like your hair is straight like bone straight and it probably won't ever curl again <laughs> so it's just like and that's just something that we did all the time until I got to an age where I 
realized I don't know what my hair looks like in the way that it grows out of my head. So you, you were getting your hair chemically relaxed, mm-hmm. like the roots, the moment yeah. when roots came out. When roots like, came out, it was like, oh, it's time to take it to the salon. And it, this is your mother and your aunt telling you this. Yeah. 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 How did that make you feel? Um, I think that it didn't make me feel bad because I thought that the process was beautifying. So it made me feel like, oh, this is like a nice treat, right? Like the way a lot of self-care for women gets marketed, right? Like, oh, this is like, you're worth it, right? Like that's actually a trademark for, because you're worth it yeah. for a cosmetic company. But it's like, oh, yay, like I get to like do this thing. Um, but then it definitely affected my life in other ways, like physical activity. Like I didn't want to like sweat my hair because then it would start to frizz or like Mm. I didn't want to you know go swimming like I still don't know how to swim really (laughs) like till this day I don't know how to swim because it's not something that I could do and one get out of a pool or a body of water and be like oh my hair looks great like no like so much went into straightening yeah like I don't want to mess it up and two like, I don't know what it's going to look like when it dries. And yeah. there was so much shame and embarrassment about mm. my hair mm-hmm. being not styled or not, like, properly done. So there's all this anxiety about getting it yeah, wet. Yeah, about getting it wet, about messing it up. I remember one time my mother was brushing my hair, but we were going somewhere and we were in a rush and we were late. And she's like, I'll brush it on the t- train. And I just, like, tried to, like do it myself quickly and I thought I did an okay job and then we were waiting for the D train in the Bronx and she was like you did a terrible job and she tries to like fix my hair by taking the like scrunchie or whatever it was that was holding it together out of my hair and it just did this like ballooned up thing and I was so embarrassed. I was wow. mortified. Wow. And I was a little kid, but I was mortified because there were people around and I didn't want them to see mm-hmm. my hair like that. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I never forgot. And it's a small moment on our way to like do something. And I don't even remember where we went or what we did in that day. I just remember that I was like horrified that other people were gonna see my hair in its natural state and I was a child. Yeah. You like how old were you? Honestly, like younger than ten for sure. Like really young. Were you were you connecting at that age your hair with blackness or was it what was what were you connecting it to? I, I I don't know if I connected it with blackness yet because no one in my family had ever talked about right. us ever being black. Mm-hmm. Like I knew mm-hmm. black people and I knew black culture and I was close to it in terms of like my neighbors were black, my my friends at school were black. Like it's the Bronx, like there's black people. Mm-hmm. But I didn't think that I was that. Yeah. You know, even if there was like clearly there is evidence yeah. <laughs> that I am yeah. in some way black. Yeah. Like there is blackness in me and mm-hmm. But I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like a th- even a thing like, oh, I'm not that. Like, oh, I don't want to be that. But it was like I really did not think like that was me mm-hmm. because no one ever told me that. No, no one ever discussed it that way. It was like, oh, no, I'm something else. Yeah. And like, that's cool. But like, that's not what I am. Sort of normalized to the point that it was almost a very it was a very casual and a very yeah. calm thing. It wasn't even sort of a hysterical yeah, no, yeah, not um, at all. thing at all. Yeah. 
I'm really so I am really interested in this idea of of space and place, mm-hmm. um, and sort of and that's part of the reason. Well, that very much is the reason why I've taken this project on the road and want to interview folks all throughout throughout the um, the globe if I can to sort of see how people's race can sort of be interpreted differently or how it can morph depending on where they are. So before we kind of go and talk about what it's like for you traveling abroad here in New York City, as you move throughout the boroughs or throughout the city, do you think that you're read as a Dominican, no matter where you go? Um, honestly, I think I was read as Dominican more when I straightened my hair because that's such a Dominican look. Okay. That I think now I may be read as mixed. Yeah. Um, I also think it has something to do with my the way I speak. I think that when people think of Latinx folks, they think of a very specific type of accent. Um, And I'm not sure if I completely live up to that accent. (laughs) And so I think people often think like, like I remember in high school one time, I didn't straighten my hair for whatever reason. Uh Like I just was tired or like it was just too time consuming and I didn't do it. And somebody told me like, oh, you look, you look, uh, like when you have your hair like that, like you look Puerto Rican or you look something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm Dominican. And they were like, oh, you are? I thought you were like, it was just like. They, did, they, they didn't think you were Dominican. They yeah. didn't think I was Dominican. Either. Yeah. So it sounds like maybe um, it's not always the case that you're read as as a Dominican. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to know what happens when you go overseas. I know that you travel to London. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, are there any stories about being in other parts of the world and having sort of your, your race be assessed in a way that was different than here in New York? Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember, <laughs> so my partner is white and I am not. <laughs> so I remember we traveled to India and somebody asked us, where are you guys from? Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm American. And he said to me, oh, you don't look American. And then I said, oh, where do I look like I'm from? He's like, I don't know, but you don't look American. Mm. And then he looked at my partner. He's like, he looks American. Right. And then he's like, oh, I guess, you know, that's because he's white. Because he's white, yeah. <laughs> because he's yeah. white. Yeah. yeah. It's an assumption like, so that to be American yeah, is to be white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As it, and then and then when you're like in London, for example, is it right. ever, do you ever? Um, I feel like London is a big enough city similar yeah. to New York that it's pretty international. Mm-hmm. Um, I do wonder if people are surprised by me when they meet me when I'm being introduced to say my partner's friend and they're like, oh, this is Karen because I think that he just talks about me as me and I could see some surprise every time they meet me like wow. oh she's a person of color yeah. <laughs> like, this is yeah. Karen <laughs> and I mean it could be a combination of things right mm. like the fact that my parents named me Karen could yeah. probably <laughs> be also part of the problem uh, and I think that was also intentional right like they knew like oh we're immigrating to the United States we want our kids to fit in like yeah. my brother's name is John Henry like oh that's wow! Which is not a Dominican name at all. At all. John Henry sounds no. an English poet from. <laughs> sounds like someone that maybe colonized yeah, the I U.S. Know. Yeah. <laughs> so like, there's definitely those unspoken ways in which people try to fit in. Right? Mm-hmm. Like people try, and by naming us things like Karen and John, and John Henry, Henry, like that, 
when people meet us, I'm sure they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's different. Um, I do want to talk about sort of anti-blackness in the Latinx community, which we've already sort of sort of touched upon. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the African ancestry um, is in so much of the, of the Latinx genome. Um, yeah, we hear of Afro-Latinos, Afro-Latinas, Afro-Latinx, people talking about the anti-blackness that they face every day. You've kind of already alluded to this, but we can maybe talk a little bit more about what anti-blackness looks like in the Latinx community. Oh, that's horrible. That's really horrible. Um, I think that there are, there are microwaves in which it happens, right? Like, I'm sure that... Um, in certain communities like dating people that are darker than you um, is not accepted but mm-hmm. even amongst ourselves there's kind of like a hierarchy of, of how we mark everyone right like for mm-hmm. for example a lot of the Latinx media is coming out of Mexico right now Right. Okay. Yeah. And, um, because, I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe proximity to the U.S. They have a, a little more money to like make a lot of more media. Um, they're a much larger country than yeah. most of Latin America, and so it's coming out of Mexico. Yeah. But the people that they put on TV, that they have in the novelas, that they have in films, that they have even like reading the news, mm-hmm. right? Like just telling the news, mm-hmm. um, are not physically like representing the people that are watching like they're like really white like really white and everyone that's on tv is pretty white and so like there's this idea that that's like what's supposed to be yeah like that's what's that this is like the aspiration and so Mm -hmm. everyone kind of follows that and like tries aspires to to be that and you have to wonder sort of how hard you have to scour the population in a country like Mexico or the Dominican Republic right. to find people who to fit find that. somebody that fits that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that they're almost more comfortable having people come in from elsewhere, and oh really? And be the face of like brands or be the face of like a news outlet or something, just because I think there's a lot more credibility in mm-hmm. in whiteness, right? Like that's what's that's what's marketed that that's more credible like the person seems smarter mm-hmm. or more beautiful or whatever other positive qualities if there's like an aspirational component to the way capitalism sort of gets people to consume then maybe mm-hmm. you can almost say there's like a maybe there's like an aspirational uh, element to, to whiteness yeah. yeah and it's not even just in the physical right like I think that mm. I'm just going back to things like accent and like the way I speak mm-hmm. um, I think that the same goes for when I speak Spanish and so like I have a Dominican accent and there's various types of Dominican accents um, and when you think about how, like what we deem as proper it's or, or like classy Spanish Mm. it's like always spoken by the people that have like the widest representation Mm. right so things like accents I think also are (laughs) anti-black yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know and I think that it's not like I I have to wonder sometimes how much of the way I speak is because I was educated in a way that was like even if everyone around you is 
speaking in this way, like learn to speak in a way that you can get the job or that you'll get the interview or that you'll be seen as more intelligent, even if you know, everyone around you, like, why do I speak this way as a kid that was born and raised in the Bronx? Yeah. You know, there's just no answer for that other than that it must have been inculcated in me that my Bronx accent was not good enough. Yeah. And this is, and this is in English and in and Spanish. In Spanish. So when you speak yeah. Spanish, what do you sound like? Where does your accent sort of fall? I, it, I, it's a Dominican accent, but within the Dominican culture, yeah. I think it seems proper just because the background of my parents yeah but outside of dominican culture like with other latinx people it seems improper because yeah. it's closer to what sounds like some kind of accent that's descendant of blackness mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and so there are a lot of like ways that dominicans speak that like cut off <clears throat> consonants or like entire like parts of a word you know like i'm sure the way uh, other Caribbeans yes. do this oh, in of English, course. right? Of course. And so, even if we like comparing it to English, right? If somebody is speaking, say, with a British accent versus someone's mm. talking with, you know, a Southern American accent, mm-hmm. um, there is kind of a small like part of one that says like, oh, this person is more intelligent, or yeah. this sounds more clever, or this yeah. sounds more proper. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And like the, no and one's making movies. Like historical movies with people with like Jamaican accents, <laughs> no, right? Like no. they always have an English accent, yeah. even if it's like a Greek story, like yeah. about like the gods. They, they, like, they, they, they sound like they're from Oxford. Yeah. It's like why are yeah. you? Yeah, because that's that's what people feel like is credible. Yeah, and it's what they associate with sort yeah. of like um with um uh, highbrow mm-hmm. as well, right? Totally. Um, it was when doing research and preparation for this interview, I was reading about the experience of. Um, reading and watching about the experience of um, particularly Afro-Latina people mm-hmm. and them saying that they're sometimes met with surprise when they speak Spanish. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. At, the, at the bodega or yeah. at the wherever yeah. um, here in America. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and I found that surprising because yeah. theoretically these people who are expressing surprise at them speaking yeah. Spanish have connections or maybe even grew up or are mm-hmm. from Latin American countries where they're, they should be seeing Afro-Latinx people on a more regular basis than maybe even here in New York or like there should be like they should be seeing they should be aware of the fact Mm. why do you think that is does it speak to segregation that exists down there as well as up here or like why do you think there's this surprise um I think that so there's a few things so I have a colleague that's from Honduras and she's from the Garifuna community, mm. which is a coastal community that has been less so, but is more insular because they've experienced such an incredible amount of racism. Mm. And they're um, black and they're black. Um, and anytime she speaks Spanish, people do meet her with surprise, even when they're from Honduras. Mm. And the reason I think in part is because one, it's an affront, right, to, like, the way I think about, like, Latinism, if that's a word. It's like, oh, I'm confronted with that, like, blackness is a part of it, like, because you're evidence of that. And mm-hmm. that's uncomfortable for mm-hmm. some people. Um, but also it's because there definitely is an incredible amount of segregation mm-hmm. um, in Latin America 
uh, and that's just one example. And so people don't see each other. Right. You know, they actually right. don't have okay. that exposure until they get here. And they're just like, we're from the same country. How is that possible? So that, ex- so that exposure, that yeah. maybe flips the script on what I was assuming. The exposure is maybe greater here in a city like New York. It can be, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of these countries can be set up so that you can go through life without having to see the parts that you don't want to. Yeah. Right? Like, you could go through the Dominican Republic and never have to really encounter Dominican life. There is a shuttle that will take you from the airport straight to where all of the, uh, you know, resorts are and the beautiful beaches and you don't have to see an actual Dominican for your whole trip. Yeah. If you don't want to. Yeah, if you don't want to. And for those who live there, can money also buy you um, a lifestyle that that avoids is, yeah. that avoids black people? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and, will get you more proximity to whiteness and that's also evident with the people that do like quote unquote make it right like when i think about dominican stars or like people Mm -hmm. that are dominican and are in the media i think of people like sammy sosa Mm -hmm. (laughs) who has progressively been like lightening his skin and and hair and wearing contact lenses and looks like a freaking weirdo yeah like it looks really bizarre but i think that that's like oh this is this is how i made it this is like an indication of me being like oh i'm no longer what i used to be wow wow um i find that fascinating i thought i forgot about sammy sosa i've seen i've seen those terrifying <laughs> yeah. photos of him they're so creepy yeah yeah of, of him doing that um which just shows sort of how ingrained anti-blackness can be in even within black people themselves mm-hmm. sort of like the, the self-hatred that can be that can be instilled yeah let me think anything else about sammy sosa i want to say uh uh-huh, that's enough about sammy sosa <laughs> but that's a, but that's a really good one and skin right. and skin lightning is, is such a psycho thing yeah. um i want to talk a bit about something you mentioned earlier um you were talking about black features how so some of them are more covetable mm-hmm. more attractive than others and there is this interesting relationship in um let's call it the americas in the, the colonized parts of of the world here in america where um we will pick and choose parts of blackness that we um that we like and and leave the mm-hmm. rest so i want to talk to you a little bit about food Mm, okay. <laughs> um, so much of food in Latin Latino cuisine um, is influenced from Africa. Mm. Um, yet we deal yet in these cultures we deal with a lot of anti-blackness. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I have thoughts about everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I feel like you could say that about food. You could say that about music. You could say mm. that about fashion. There's so much that is so rich that blackness contributes so much to, to every culture, every culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just gets whitewashed, yeah. you know, and it just turns into something else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of picking and choosing mm-hmm. of what parts are good and what parts are not. Um, I'm seeing, and but I think that's indicative of, I mean, I think that's a trend that's happened with a lot of other stuff, but mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of, like, restaurants and places that are taking things that used to be kind of lowbrow, right? Mm-hmm. Like, something like mac and cheese, right? Like, mac and cheese. Like, a very, like, lowbrow type of, yeah. like, traditional American, like, home-style food. And then, like, 
just making it with like the most expensive cheese yes. and like the pasta is imported from somewhere and like putting truffle oil on yeah. and like sprinkling whatever else uh-huh. and then it's like suddenly you're paying like 30 bucks for a plate of mac and cheese and it's just like this is not how this started no. <laughs> right and so i think dominicans have definitely a version of this as well mm-hmm. except that i don't know if there's as much pushback i think that there's such a desire for that to happen that it's almost like yes please gentrify us this is how we know we made it like this mm-hmm. is how we know it's good mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like that you like us mm-hmm. and it's so so it's like i i sometimes think that people don't fight that because they want to be again like within proximity to whiteness and yeah. acceptance yeah and if it takes like somebody from somewhere else taking those foods and then turning them into something else and then putting a big price tag on it people feel good about it people feel good about it even though there's a barrier to entry to yeah. actually dining in those restaurants perhaps right. for those same people yeah. that's really interesting because i think in, in, um contrasting Ooh, I forgot the word. Mm-hmm. In contrast, mm-hmm. <laughs> here, uh, a lot of African Americans, I think, are really sort of um, taking on, like, the the bougie mm-hmm. the bougie fried chicken and waffles mm-hmm. or the bougie soul food um, yeah. thing if they don't see black people actually being given being given the credit. But you, right. you would say in the Latinx or even the Dominican community, there isn't that same pushback, eh? I don't think yet, no. Hmm. I think that, I mean, I think it's starting, but I think we have a lot to learn from the African American community in hmm. terms of, like, what solidarity looks like what um like what gentrification is yeah <laughs> you know and like what does this mean yeah. for us what does this actually mean for us yeah i don't think we're on the same page does it reflect a lack of solidarity within the community just point blank yeah yeah and that's just one of the many ways yeah <laughs> <laughs> I can say it because I'm Dominican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, and that's why I'm talking <laughs> we to you. We got a lot to learn. <laughs> um, so you identify as um, Afro-Latina. Yeah. When did you start identifying that way? Um, pretty recently, if you think about it. Because I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, and... I've always been around blackness in terms of like people that embrace their blackness as African Americans and mm-hmm. I knew that was a culture and I knew that was a thing. But after realizing like I have to come to terms and reckon with my own blackness, I also am not that. Like that's a very rich and beautiful and wonderful culture and I know it and I'm close to it and I understand it, but it's not mine. Yeah. Shit, sorry. That's okay. That's fine. <laughs> um, but it's not mine. I, I turned everything down. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Um, but, and so I was really reluctant to, like, claim that blackness because I also didn't want to do it in the way that I had seen it done before. Mm-hmm. Like, the people that swoop in when it's cool and say like oh actually yeah like I have this identity or I have this thing like after other people have put the groundwork yeah when it becomes know, safer yeah, to do it yeah, yeah then you do it and so I, I feel like I'm careful about that identity because I don't want to I don't want to colonize with my with the other parts of me that are more protected than blackness, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
I want to claim my blackness and also acknowledge that like I do have light skin and that mm-hmm. is a privilege mm-hmm. and I do speak in a certain way and my name is Karen like that those are things that give me entryways that yeah. other people don't have when yeah. they're given other kinds of names or mm-hmm. speak in a different way even if we're both like equally educated or saying the same exact things it's just like I come in this package that is still more like easily digested by yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, wh- how, what was that journey like for you getting to the point where you were able to claim the term Afro-Latina? Was it mm-hmm. anything on, on that journey, sort of milestones, any moments you can sort of point to? Yeah, I remember... So because I am in a mixed-race relationship, that pointed out a lot of things for me as well, where there's always a moment as a woman with, like, kinky hair that... When we first started dating, and this is like eight years ago, um, I was still straightening my hair. Mm. And so you get to a point where like you wake up in the morning and your hair maybe doesn't look the way it did when you went to bed. (laughs) Or maybe you're like taking your first shower together. And so you have to have a conversation of like, hey, just so you know, this is not what I always look like. (laughs) And like, you know, you really are getting close to someone when they see you with like, your head is like wrapped in a thing yeah. or like your hair is like in curlers or uh-huh. if you have something or in like braids or if they see you with like your roots to show yeah. it's like you know you're comfortable then let's see looking under it's the cap like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> under the hood under the <laughs> <laughs> and so he was just like oh like why do you hide your hair so much like let me see it like I would always like run away and like cover it and I'm like oh because like my roots are gonna show and da 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 and he's like your hair is straight what do you mean and I'm like I do this like I make this happen this is like, not the way it is and he's like well what is it like and like I showed him and he was like oh like if that makes you happy that's fine but like don't feel like you have to do that and that is the first time that anyone like said those words wow and it came from a white man wow. and that was so fucking depressing <laughs> <laughs> i was like why did this have to come from a white man? like yeah. and i love my partner <laughs> he's a great partner but it's just like damn like how is it like how did i not get that before from from your own family perhaps from my own family my own community from other women like it was just like don't feel like you have to do that and i was like you know what maybe i don't want to do it anymore Mm -hmm. and then i told him like the whole story he's like well what would it look like if you just stopped doing it and i was like i don't know because at that point you hadn't had natural hair since when since i was a child like very very little and so i didn't know and he was like you want to try it and I was like well what would that look like if half of my hair is straight on the ends and then there's like five inches of root that's like a totally different texture that would look bizarre and he's like cut it off and I'm like get the fuck out of here like are you serious I mean and that tapped into so much like that tapped into like oh my god like how much of my femininity do I attach to my hair and like do I feel like a less feminine person with short hair and like doing the big chop which I did or with like my natural hair Mm -hmm. and I've noticed such a huge change in the way people treat me um, now that I have natural hair 
Um, it sounds to me that maybe using the term Afro Latina could be a part mm-hmm. of a self decolonization process. Yeah. Would you agree with that statement? Absolutely. I think I think that it's anything that like lets you really embrace your your fullness, like your full self. And I no longer feel that it's adequate anymore to identify myself as just Latina. And I'm not offended if people say, oh like Karen is Latina. It's true, but it's only a part of it, mm-hmm. right? And so I have the same trouble claiming my queerness while I'm in a straight relationship, right? Like having to constantly out myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then people being like, oh, that doesn't fit. Yeah. <laughs> same thing happens with like race and ethnicity. It's yeah. like I have to constantly be like, just to make it clear, like this is not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Like anything that breaks down like binaries of any kind yeah. or pigeonholing it. I think is a part of reclaiming the fullness of what it means to be your authentic self. Yeah. Be, beyond um, the Afro-Latina identity, what else does decolonization mean to you? Um, so much. Um, I, th- I feel like getting into spaces um, that are typically not spaces that have been welcoming to any identity that I hold um, is a part of decolonization. And so now that I've started, right, that I have like two kinds of hair care like situations happening on my head right now, right? Like I have a full on fro in the front and then the back is completely shaved off. Um, I go to a barber. And so going into that space every single time I walk in, every man in the place turns around looks and I I notice it gets a little more quiet and so like I keep to myself and I hope that they feel comfortable with like (laughs) continuing their conversations but also if they don't I think maybe it might make them question why like yeah. what were you talking about yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> before I walked that conversation in, in the first <laughs> yeah. Place? yeah which is like a good thing I think I think that's like decolonizing still mm. spaces and mm-hmm. to see a woman like when I pull this off to see that like the front of my hat is like a full on like big fro mm. um I think to bring that into a space with only men and being like, this is what I'm doing. And I'm in your space now wow. and I'm doing it. Um, is just one of the many ways that one could practice decolonization. Yeah, I didn't expect that example from you and it's such an incredible one because what you're talking about is almost like, it's almost like an intersection between decolonization and feminism in a way. Oh, I mean, I feel like they're definitely intertwined. Mm definitely in her time for sure there's a lot of i mean i I, when i think about the safety of whiteness right and i think about who in our communities are the least safe it's trans black women Mm -hmm. and so they're definitely intertwined like like white trans women are not having the same experiences Mm -hmm. um cis women are not having the same experiences 
Um, and so there's definitely something linked there, mm-hmm. if not completely, like completely braided, yeah. like completely un, un, untangleable. Like yeah. you can't decolonize and not also talk about orientation, sex, and gender and, yeah. and like decolonize that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's kind of it for my questions for you. Is there anything else you wanted to add as far as, um, you know, be, being a person of mixed race, being a, a person who's, who's black and of mixed race that you haven't said so far? Um, I think that maybe I should say something about being in a relationship that is a mixed race relationship and then like the acceptance of his family of me. I think in, in really interesting ways, they've been really supportive of our relationship and his family's been able to, however, ooh, I wonder if I should say this. <laughs> Just because I don't want, I don't want, maybe I won't talk about my current partner, but I'll talk about being in a mixed relationship. Um, and this is not, should I keep going? Yeah, I'm okay. just totally. Okay. I'm just making sure it's still recording and we're yeah. all good. Yeah. This is not specific to my my current partner, <laughs> but being in a mixed um, relationship, right, where my partner is white and I am not, um, I have encountered that, you know, my partner's family can be very accepting of me and very, I mean, more than accepting, embracing, right? Like they reach out to me on their own, we hang out, even though my partner, you know, may or may not be in the space, like they're very, they invite me to everything. Wow. They, they really care about me and they love me. And they say that, like that they love me. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can also still have like a cognitive dissonance uh, where they might say something that is racist and, mm-hmm. or say something that is prejudice uh, and not realize that they're still talking about the same person, right? Like that, that they say they love and care for. And I mean, and that's not just my partner's family. That's my own family, right? Mm. Like they can say things about Haitians or blackness or, you know, and it's just like, I don't think that you get that you're talking about me. Like, yeah. you're really making a disconnect. I'm not sure how on purpose or inadvertent it is, but, like, you really do not see that they're one and the same, that I am that. Respect for the individual sometimes mm-hmm. isn't extended yeah. to, to the group. Yeah. And, I, and I've experienced that as well. People right. getting close to me and then feeling it's okay right. to talk about their... Right. Um, or even like work out their racism with me in a way that that creates a lot of labor or that's yeah. them just sort of blurting, or just blurting out yeah. racist stuff yeah. and being like, right? And yeah. expecting me to sort of, you know, so and I hear that. Yeah, and so I think a, a good partner yeah. would take that on and challenge that for you, yeah. right? And be like, oh, you know, when you say that, this is how it's coming across and this is what that means and this is how 
you know, you're talking about Karen and they always respond with like, oh, I don't mean her or like, yeah. no, of course not. Like, yeah. I would never say that. And it's like, you just did. You just did. You yeah. just did. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, Karen, so much for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Yeah. It's been really insightful. Um, I knew you were going to come with a lot of, of things to say, a lot of sort of very um, like, in, like insightful and well thought out things to say. And um, I'm really thankful and happy that we, we had this moment, this time together. Thank you. So thank you so much. <laughs> and until next time. Thanks so much for listening to yet another episode of The Mix Project. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all those things for your boy. And also head over to The Mix Project website. That's www.themix, spelled M-I-X-D, project.com. Head over there and check out the photos that accompany Karen's interview. Thanks again for listening to another episode, and we will see all you folks next time. Happy Black History Month.